Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast on international affairs. We choose something that's going on in the world every week and we break it down for you. Well, not me necessarily. This gentleman right here, Dr. Keith Souter, I'm uh, not nearly as well versed as I should be in these issues to be able to break them down like you do, Keith. You make it very easy to understand. A couple of PhDs on international relations and related topics and also an Australian media commentator on these issues for decades now. My name's Kate Mack. We've worked together for quite a number of years in television, now this podcast. Keith, debt, scary levels of debt. That is what we're talking about today. So, in fact, what is happening is that particularly I thought it was appropriate when we're looking at um, Christmas now and, of course, in, in the Southern Hemisphere also the cost of going on holiday. So people are getting heavily in debt. And I was interested to come across um, an article by David Graeber who uh, was an anthropologist. He died a few months ago and his writings attracted a lot of controversy. So normally when we talk about debt... We talk about it from an economics point of view. He looked at it from the point of view of anthropology and traces it back for 5,000 years. So <laughs> debt is not a new thing. So if you're heavily in debt paying off your mortgage and your credit cards and all the rest of it, you've got a 5,000-year legacy there. And what uh, David Graeber did was to look at how debt really has become such a fixed factor of life. He actually argues that debt existed before we invented cash and that people were getting into debt very early on and were able to do this because they had some assets or they could borrow some assets, etc. And so he talks about 5,000 years of debt which has been accumulated, and it takes various forms. You know, we, we in this country think of debt in terms, well, the mortgage, which is usually the largest single debt that anybody manages to acquire, and then you have credit cards, But he pointed out in his study that there have been so many other forms of debt. And reading this article has jogged my memory that I was involved as um, chair of the board of the Anti-Slavery Society in Melbourne, that we were involved in buying children out of slavery. And the process was, the the, the form of slavery was Trokashi, which is in the west coast of Africa amongst religious figures, so they're not Christian or not Islamic. These are people who are animists, in other words, the ancient religions in those neighbourhoods. And they would say to parents, you owe a debt because generations ago, one of your forebears got into debt and you've got to repay that debt by giving us your daughter. And so the girl then disappears inside the religious institution and doesn't get seen again. So she becomes ultimately some sort of slave. So that's that's another form of debt manufactured in our view because the, um, these were priests um, who were just inventing stories about debt. This is really interesting because our notion, as you say, of debt is completely different. And ironically at the moment... Good discussion. It's not really ironic, but good discussion to be having considering every nation in the world because of coronavirus is probably in the highest amount of debt ever. Exactly. So what you've got are very high levels of personal debt, as I say, mortgages, credit cards, etc. And then you've also now, as a response to the coronavirus crisis, got governments that are going more and more into debt, perhaps also debasing their currency. You see, in 1971, the United States left the gold standard. 
So technically in 1971, the United States went bankrupt. So if you can imagine yourself writing checks and you don't have enough money in your bank account, well, that, that is illegal and you are bankrupt. The United States was in a similar position in 1971. So the United States was on the gold standard. So if you had 35 American dollars, you were a central bank. They've got to be the Reserve Bank of Australia, not, not a private individual. If you had $35, you could go to the United States Reserve and get an ounce of gold. $35. What happened, of course, is, uh, is that during the 60s with the Vietnam War and also their so-called war on poverty, where they were spending big, they ended up effectively undermining their own currency. And in 1971, President Nixon said, we're coming off the gold standard. So in a sense, we now have what are called fiat currencies, not gold standard currencies. So gold standard means that every note you have in circulation there is some gold in your reserve to, to back it up. Um, a bit like you're issuing checks and then you've also got money in the bank to cover those checks, uh, which means when you look at your little bit of paper, it says this uh, promises to, to give the bearer on demand one pound or one dollar or whatever. What we have now done since 1971 is to move to what are called fiat currencies. So fiat means command. I command you to treat this piece of paper the size of a, a sheet of toilet paper as though it worth $1 or $1,000, right? That, that, that's the command. And so you do uh, give due reverence to that bit of paper, and yet the paper itself is not backed by anything except by the prestige of the government that's issuing it. Now, the United States obviously is still seen as a, having running a reasonable economy, but you've got in Zimbabwe... The run on the Zimbabwe economy with inflation was so bad. Uh, I was in Israel in 19, what year was that? I think 1979, they embolished their entire currency. <laughs> it, it had become so inflated. Oh, they, Zimbabwe, well, yeah. And Zimbabwe, but also Israel changed it. And Zimbabwe, you go around with truckloads of paper to buy a bunch of bananas. I remember people just burning it because they could, like yeah. a, just to make an example. Yeah, under so, Mugabe back in the day, about uh, 20 years ago, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm. And so what uh, David Graeber is saying is that we have learned to live with debt, governments paying too much money for things, printing too much money. And so what he did with this study, which was some people have said it's one of the best books on anthropology written in the 20th century. So what he did a decade ago with his book uh, was to talk about the role that debt has played in our lives. Now, what is interesting is that you have a variety of different approaches towards debt. And so there are various religious approaches that are also towards debt as well. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Sood. We're talking about debt, that scary word, the scary concept. We've all got it, most of us, <laughs> in some way, shape or form. Um, Dr. Keith, this is this is quite interesting looking back at the history of debt, really. It is, yeah. And, and you know, what is interesting is that, um, one find, as, as Graeber argues, one finds the majority of human beings believe simultaneously, one, that paying back money one has borrowed is simply a matter of morality. In other words, if you have a debt, you will repay it. Uh, and then secondly, anyone in the habit of lending money is evil. So 
we don't like getting into debt. We try to pay it off as quickly as possible. And the people who lend the money to us, we hate. And so he really traces those two themes. So part of the, the if you like, the shaping in the Western mind is the fact that in in the Bible, in the Old Testament, just, um, you know, derived from the Jewish thinking, we have a, a way of excusing debt. So every 50 years, everybody's debts get written off, called the year of Jubilee. So seven times seven, so in that 50th year, all debts are forgiven. Now, the extent to which that actually took place in early Israeli history 3,000 years ago. We just don't know, but that was the rule. On top of that, there was a ban on lending money at a rate of interest. That is called usury. And so you are not allowed to lend money to people. In other words, we were discouraging people from getting into debt in the first place. And then when Christianity comes along, they pick up that strand of Jewish thinking. So it becomes part of the Jewish uh, so the Christian tradition, that there is a ban on usury, lending money at a rate of interest. So I could lend you money, but, but I'm not allowed to charge a rate of interest on this. So the, the, the Catholic Church then placed bans on this. Ironically, the only people uh, who would not be covered by the Catholic ban would be the Jews living in the El Baghetto, the little village on the outskirts of town. They were the ones who did the banking because they were not covered by the rulings of the, of the Christian church. So Jews quite early on were banned from owning land, but they were encouraged, in effect, to do the banking, <laughs> which helps to explain some of the anti-Semitism. Absolutely. Because that's has been around just, for 2,000 years. I was just thinking that. So how has that never been shaken? Well, that, that's just a strand of thinking the last... 2,000 years, another strand came with the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago when um, the Protestants started to ease the thinking on usury and they were saying you're allowed to charge interest but not a lot. Well, can (laughs) someone please tell the banks this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny you should say that because David Graeber points out that the Catholic Church issued instructions to local parishes that all known usurers, in other words, bankers, were to be excommunicated from the Catholic Church. They were not allowed to uh, attend church services and under no condition could their bodies be buried on hallowed ground. So you could not bury a banker in a Christian burial site. So you'd have to just bury it in a field somewhere. So that's that's a long-standing notion about bankers too as well, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> so for those listeners who hate their bankers, there's a long tradition there as well. Debt is a long tradition. Hating your banker is a long tradition. But it was the Protestants who opened the way to allowing Christians to do the banking because they were saying, yes, you are allowed to change, charge a rate of interest, but it mustn't be too big. But they never specified what would be a reasonable rate of interest. And so you get, therefore, the Industrial Revolution occurring within those Protestant countries, England particularly, and then followed by northern Germany and France. In other words, where there was a large Protestant population, you had people who were willing to lend money, people who were willing to borrow money for this newfangled thing called the Industrial Revolution. To get ahead in life with three debt. To get ahead in life. And yeah. so what about Catholic countries? Where, where does Catholicism stand on debt? Well, they were always more backward. 
So they're the southern countries, you know, uh, particularly around, say, Italy and Spain. Remember, Spain, before the Industrial Revolution, was a, a great power. It conquered parts of the world, but it, it didn't take up the Industrial Revolution quickly enough. That was done in Northern Europe, particularly in England, well, UK, and and then Germany and France. So the, the, the Spanish and Italy were slow to get into the game because there the Catholic Church held back this borrowing and lending of money. And the British, of course, created their own network of banks, which then spanned the globe. In fact, I think until recently, there were actually more branches of British banks in New York than there were American banks. So, so then, of course, we've had a period of consolidation since then, so there have been some changes. But the British got into the area of merchant banking and retail banking, in other words, a little bank on your street corner. They got onto that very quickly. And Britain relies on what are called the invisible services. In other words, the visibles are the things that you make, like automobiles. The invisibles are the services. So that's banking and law and insurance, and that's where Britain was a world leader. So they were exploiting this notion of people going into debt to pay for things. So for me, it's been really fascinating. And what he also did as an anthropology, he looked at medieval Hindu law where the interest-bearing loans were permissible, providing they didn't go larger than the um, original principle. But it was often emphasised that a debtor who did not pay would be reborn as a slave in the household of his creditor. Remember, they had reincarnation as part of Hindus. So if you don't pay your debt while you're alive, you'll come back as a horse or an ox in the household of the people to whom you do own the money. So make sure you pay off all your debts before you die. That's quite dire. (laughs) Not these days. Lots of people die with debt now. That's Hindu thinking. So David Graeber, as I say, died a few months ago, very early age. I think he's only about 60, died very suddenly, presumably a heart attack. He also looked at what he called everyday communism. His argument is that people did well in early communities because they shared things. So in other words, that they worked together on common projects, what was called the ethics of reciprocity. So, in fact, the early communities, before they were inventing money, had invented communism, people working together on common projects. So that that is a very interesting argument within the book that he wrote. As I said, it's a, a best-selling book, and it's called Debt, the First 5,000 Years. And the author was David Graeber, who died a few months ago. David Graeber also helped create the phrase, we are the 99%. In other words, the 1% are the super rich, the 99% are the rest of us who don't enjoy that same degree of wealth. And so he was giving us warnings really about the risk of consumer debt, uh, the debt that you see in Germany um, after World War I and how it led to hyperinflation. And of course now, The man's been dead, but now we've got the COVID crisis. And that's a clear warning. Are we going to debase our own currencies? Because the governments are just getting so heavily into debt to pay off all these infrastructure projects. So debt has been around for at least 5,000 years. And one way or another, it's going to be around for an awfully long time as well. Well, to be fair, I I have debt and it's, uh, it's, it's one way to get ahead, Keith, to be quite frank. 
And that's what is interesting because we've actually changed our attitude because those of us who are older were brought up to believe you never got into debt. You save. You 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 were always you saved your money. If you couldn't afford to buy it, then you didn't buy it. Uh, whereas what we've seen in the last 40 years has been a relaxation of that ethic mm. and people are now, and these things go in cycles. So once you are after the next big economic crash, people are going back to being conservative as my parents who inculcated those values because they'd lived through the Great Depression and World War II. So they taught me to be very cautious with money. But I think that if you looked at any person who's made a huge fortune, they would not sing from the same book. They would say, you need to make, take risks. And Well, Warren Buffett never got money. into debt. No, Warren Buffett didn't borrow. Didn't he? No. No. He started saving money, collecting bottle tops, I think at the age of six or seven. Wow. And, and in fact, his biography is called Snowball because in the same way you roll a snowball down a hill and it gets more and more snow then the same thing was happening with Warren Buffett, who begins at this age of six or seven and is now one of the wealthiest people in the world. But he's got to be one of the minority. He's, he is an exception, yeah. yeah. Others borrow big and also can be destroyed. Alan Bond is a great example of that. That's true. Christopher Scase. Yep, yep. So we have a history of some people who borrowed big and then collapsed big. Mm. And, and at the same time, I agree, you've got other people who borrow more responsibly and endeavour to pay that money back because under, as I say, medieval Hindu law, you'll end up coming back as an oxen. <laughs> well, <laughs> none, of, none of us want that. <laughs> so that's David Graeber's book, Debt, The First 5,000 Years. Brilliant book. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.